0: A great way to make more money is to sell more services to each couple who hires you. Unfortunately, what most people do is either A, stuff their packages with more, 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 or B, offer a la carte options on top of the packages. But both of these are consistently backfiring with your buyers. On this week's episode of Own Your Business, I'm going to tell you how to get more from every date on your calendar, including couples who already booked. Three psychological principles that encourage couples to spend more with you, and what not to do on your proposals because it's probably causing interested buyers to ghost you. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. My brother, Ben, got married to his wife, Christina, in 2017. The wedding was planned with 100 of their closest friends and family. Surprisingly, Katie and I were not involved in planning it at all. In fact, one day, I remember my brother called me very early in the planning process. The only thing that they had decided was where they were going to get married. Mallorca, Spain. Now, Ben was a bottom line kind of guy like me. He wanted to know a ballpark price on what it's going to cost. So I told him, and I didn't sugarcoat it at all, but he did not like the answer, and he shrugged it and me off because they weren't going to do anything that fancy. So says everyone getting married who sees a first draft of a budget from an experienced wedding planner. Needless to say, he called for information zero times after that conversation, even though, as I found out, they ended up spending even more than my initial estimate on the total wedding, but they did honor me with asking to officiate the ceremony. No wedding party, just the three of us standing up there in front of everyone. I was so proud to be there. Now, Ben and Christina work in film and TV And a lot of their friends are muckety-mucks like them. Everything is a production, so appearances are super important, especially with weddings. And I got that more than most. Now, I've never worked in an environment where I needed to wear a suit to the office. I wore khakis and a button-up for a dozen years at Roach Harbor. And at Todd events, I might have put a jacket on once in a while, but it was mostly just business casual or even business chic. Dress jeans and a nice shirt. I was also just starting out on my own. As a coach and consultant with id action and i did not have a ton of money sitting around so ben being ben offered to buy me a new suit get something nice he said spend a grand on yourself i think part of it was that he didn't want me looking like a schmuck in front of his friends and in the photos but what did i care i had a thousand dollar budget for a new suit and i got to keep it afterwards this was amazing so nordstrom's was the first place that came to mind when i was thinking about where to buy a suit I had hired a personal shopper there a few years before when I was getting ready from the move to Todd events life. I was not going to wear khakis and buttoned up at Todd events. And the experience of having a personal shopper at Nordstrom was incredible. So when I went back to Nordstrom, I just walked in the store and I was greeted by a man wearing a really nice suit. I went to the Wenswear section and normally I'm one of those just browsing types who brushes off the salesman. But at Nordstrom, I love the experience. And even more importantly, I needed the help. The only thing that I knew is that the suit had to be dark blue and $1,000 to spend. So 10, 15 minutes later, I found a beautiful Ted Baker suit. I tried it on. It fit perfectly. I felt like a million bucks, even though it only cost 800 or so I thought. That's when the salesman really started to earn his commission. Do you have a tie that matches this fabric? He asked me. Honestly, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to go home and then find out that I needed to go back to the store. I hate shopping, especially for clothes. I also figured I had a little left in the budget. Ben and Christina would appreciate me wearing a nice-looking tie to go along with the suit they just bought me. So, I picked out a tie. What about a shirt? Oh, okay. I see where this is going. So, he tells me a lot of grooms wear a French cuff shirt with cufflinks so that they can keep them as mementos afterwards. Do you have a French cuff shirt, he asked. And this guy was good. So I texted my brother in the store and he messaged back. He said, "Yeah, French cuffs would be a good match with him." So 30 minutes later, I walk out of Nordstrom's with a Ted Baker suit, a French cuff shirt, new cufflinks, that tie, and even a pair of socks. I probably didn't need them, but why not? Now, the bill was 1200. Not bad for 200, I rationalized to myself, feeling grateful for my brother and his wife. Now, I knew what was going on during the shopping experience. I knew what this guy was doing. It was classic upselling. And I got to be honest, I was 100% okay with it. Because it felt like he was helping me. And he was. I did not want to show up to the wedding not playing the part. Not looking the role. He'd helped me uncover needs I didn't even know that I had. And I did end up needing all of them. Except the socks. Those were just a treat for myself. I want to share a handful of psychological principles that are at play with upselling situations like these. Techniques like foot in the door, principles like anchoring and ego depletion are really important to understand when you think about how to sell more to your clients. I'm also gonna talk about why you can't offer everything at once, which is what too many wedding pros do on their pricing guides and custom proposals. Upselling after the purchase is a way more successful opportunity for you to make money than trying to get them to buy everything in the initial purchase. But before we get going on how to upsell after the sale, I want to remind you of why it's important to do it in the first place. Two big reasons come to mind, and they're both really important. One is for you, and one is for your clients. The first one is that you only have so many dates that you can book, so you have to make the most of each date on the calendar. And the second reason, which makes all of this ethical in my mind as a salesperson, who wants to be able to sleep at night is that your clients very likely need more services from you than they're initially prepared to purchase when they book your business. Remember your company exists to solve problems for your clients. You don't know all the problems they have up front. Even with the great discovery process, you're going to find more issues and desires that need to be addressed as you service your clients during the wedding planning process. Ask any wedding planner who gets hired for day of or partial planning. And they're going to tell you that scope creep is one of their biggest challenges. I don't see upselling after the sale or upgrading to a higher package as salesy at all. I see it as meeting your clients needs in ways that are important to them. As long as you use these tactics for good with a capital G for helping couples get what they want, I'm here to share these tips with you. Like all things you do with your business, it's a mix of helping your buyers and supporting yourself. All right, good. Now that that's settled, let's talk about how to make more money. There are two ways to increase revenue for your business. The first way is more transactions and the second is more per transaction. That's it. More transactions or more per transaction. And at some point you're going to run out of dates to book. So the only way to earn more income is to get more from each date on the calendar. I learned this at the olive garden 25 years ago. One of the many valuable lessons I picked up in my three years at that place. We had a sheet on the wall in the kitchen near the swing door going out to the service floor. And on that sheet was a list of every single one of the servers. I worked for the sixth busiest Olive Garden in the country, up in Tacoma. And we had probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 55, 60 servers at any given time. Now, the the managers of the company, they felt like everybody who was going to come into the Olive Garden for lunch or for dinner would order some sort of entree. But the measure of success as a salesperson on the service team was determined by how many add-ons we could get. They come in for the entree. But what could you get them to buy for non-alcoholic beverages, alcoholic beverages, desserts, to-go food, or appetizers? And so what would happen is they'd list out every week the average that each one of the servers would have for these add-ons. And the people who were at the top got cash prize. The people who were at the bottom, they got a warning. Or if they were there consistently, they got sent back for retraining. And if that didn't work, they were fired. So... Upselling, super important. It is the measure of success as a salesperson because once you fill your calendar in with dates, you have to get better at selling higher packages and or more after the initial sale. To be clear, what I'm talking about looks like this. Let's say you're a videographer. You want to get couples to buy coverage, a highlight film, and also the toasts and speeches. Everyone who comes to you will get the minimum amount of coverage and a basic highlight film. But to make the most of the date and give the couple what they really want to enjoy for decades to come, your goal should be to increase the hours of coverage, the length of the highlight film, add on the speeches. This gives them a better deliverable and you more money. Use all the techniques I talk about in other podcast episodes to present your packages and pricing using buyer psychology. This will help them pick higher packages. But if you don't get them to pick what you know they'll need and what you want for that price, it's time to either A, accept the initial offer, and then B, upsell them after they sign the agreement. Now, this is classic foot-in-the-door approach to selling. The origins of the term foot-in-the-door, they come from door-to-door salesmen literally cramming their foot in the door so that homeowners could not close it. I gotta say, that's a little aggressive for me. Now, eventually, door-to-door salesmen found a different and more subtle way to sell their products. I remember reading in some book, and I can't remember what it is, otherwise I'd credit it, but it talked about how this encyclopedia company, several decades ago, hired psychologists, a team of psychologists, to create a sales script for their salespeople based on what we now call a yes ladder. You start with a question that gets a quick and easy yes without thinking. Then you ask another question that leads to a yes, then another, then another, until you get to the biggest yes you can ask for, the purchase. This is how it looked when they sold their encyclopedias. Knock, knock. Do you live here? Yes. Are you the owner of the home? Yes. Do you have a few minutes? Yes. Can I come in to share the information with you? Yes. Can we sit down? Yes. Can I have something to drink? Yes. If at any point the salesman got a no, he'd have to find a way to turn it into a yes. There was an order and a sequence to getting the purchase. I think it was something like 45 yeses that were required to get the sale on the script. Now, this plays on a major psychological principle of persuasion called commitment and consistency. Commitment and consistency. If you want to read about it, pick up a copy of Influence by Robert Cialdini. It's easily the most impactful book in my sales psychology education. The concept is that people will continue to make decisions that support choices they've already made. Get a small yes, and you're more likely to get another one that's bigger. But make a big ask up front, and it's not as likely to get the end result as often. Here's one of my favorite experiments from Cialdini that he talks about in the book. There were two different groups of people who were approached in this experiment. The first group was in a part of the neighborhood and the experimenters went to the door. They knocked on the door and they asked them, hey, would you be interested in putting this big sign in your yard that asked people to drive carefully to slow down? And a super majority of the people said, no, we're not going to put this big sign in the yard. Now, the other group of people, similar neighborhood, different part, they were asked by the experimenters to put a small little sign in the window of their, their the front part of their house. And the experiment goes like this. They went back two weeks later, a week later, I can't remember what the exact time frame was, and they said, hey... Homeowner, thanks so much for putting this small, tiny little sign in your front window. It's been very effective. Would you be open to putting this bigger sign in your front yard? Now, this sign was the same sign size as the first group was asked that almost everybody said no to. And you know what happened? The majority of the people who had put a small sign in their window said yes to putting the big sign in the door or in the in the lawn. Here's another one from Cialdini. Cialdini. And I don't know if this was his experiment or, or somebody else, but he talks about it in this other book called pre another great read by Cialdini. So in this book, Presuasion, talking about the commitment and consistency principle, he he goes through this experiment that was done at a mall by people who were trying to see how they could get more surveyors to get better, higher conversion rates. So they had people walking around with clipboards and they were going up to people who were in the mall and they asked them, could you fill out this survey? And, and what they did was they said, could you take two or three minutes to help f- fill out the survey? And, and they got a really low response rate. I think it was like high 20s, low 30s, something like that. And that was, the, that was the control group. The experimental group, the one where they were seeing and testing if they could influence them in a different way, the experimenters went up with the clipboard in hand and they asked one simple question before requesting the time to fill out the survey, they said, do you find yourself a helpful person or would you consider yourself to be helpful? And almost everybody, of course, said yes. And they said, great, would you mind helping me by taking two to three minutes to fill out this survey? And they ended up getting more than two times the conversion rate just by asking, would you consider yourself a helpful person? And the point is that people want to create consistency with what they have said before. The key in all of this is to make sure that you are not too aggressive or disingenuous while you're doing this because you'll create what psychologists call reactants. Most people do not like to feel cornered, or told what to do, and so they fight back or they throw up a wall as a defense mechanism. But again, if you are using upselling techniques and the foot in the door technique to help people and you believe in what you're offering, it's likely to not come off as salesy. Another reason for upselling after the initial purchase is made and why it works so well relates to something called anchoring and framing. Let's say you're a photographer. Printed photos and albums are your goal. That's how you make more money with existing clients. You work with couples who always tell you how much they appreciate the tangible photos, even if they're expensive. They may not have made the decision early on, but they're glad that they did. So let's say that your average package is nine hours, two photographers, and an engagement session. And let's say this costs 6500 bucks. And your albums average $1,500. I see a lot of photographers who will bundle everything together in the proposal, the $6,500 and the $1,500, to create an $8,000 option. Now, you could do this, but it's a much harder sale to make than $6,500 and then $1,500 later to get to the eight K. That's because one of the options couples are always considering is doing nothing. This is what people who design experiments call the null option. Nothing. No change. Status quo. And the status quo bias is a huge obstacle in complex decision making. People are much, much more comfortable where they're at than risking a change in conditions that may result in a negative outcome. So going from spending $0 status quo to $8,000 is a huge jump. 0 to 8000 Massive. Especially if your services are being compared to a photographer who has the same nine hours, to photographers, and engagement session for 6500 bucks, The buyer doesn't know the cost or the value of the album at 1500 And it may not yet be important to them at this point in the wedding planning. But you know when it is? When they get their photos after the wedding. They fall in love with them. And... If you do some sophisticated sales techniques, you, you do a gallery view with their parents on a zoom call or in person, you can get them all excited about sharing them with other family or friends and get this lovely coffee table album or two or three. And why not? It's only 1500 more on top of the 80 grand that they just spent on the entire wedding. 1500 as a percentage of 80,000 is very small and it's still relatively small even for 6500 again you're going down in price we've already spent 80 grand what's 1500 more we've already spent 6500 on the photography what's 1500 more but going from 0 to 8000 the way that that's framed with an anchor of 0 is a really big ask remember my brother hearing for the first time the number that i put out there on the estimate on his wedding he literally laughed and said no way And then what happened? Little by little, they ended up spending more than they first thought. And that was a big, scary number at the time. He and his wife talked themselves into it. And this is the kicker. They look back on the wedding as money well spent. They're happy that they did it. If you told me I was going to spend $1,200 at Nordstrom on my suit, I would have picked a whole different store but i did get the suit for 800 and then added on another 400 with little purchases here and there 30 150 85 after i'd already spent 800 those numbers felt small here's another psychological takeaway there's value in creating the final package in building it up it's called the ikea effect and it's a great way to get people not only to spend more with your company and this is really important but for them to find more value in the purchase that they made. They are going to feel better about spending more if they help build it themselves. Research did a study with people who put together furniture from Ikea. Two different groups of people were used. The control group were people who bought the furniture. okay, They just bought the furniture from Ikea and they were asked, how much would you pay for this? The second group, the experimental group, they put together the furniture and then they were asked how much are you willing to sell it for another way of saying how much would somebody pay for this and what they found is that the group that put the furniture together they they wanted to charge more they valued it more they were more proud of what they had done this is the ikea effect so if taking components and building something yourself creates value for the builder or in this case your buyer why not let everyone do the same with each of your features coverage, number of photographers, engagement sessions, albums, prints, faster turnaround time, sneak peeks, etc., etc., etc. Those are all features. Why not just list all of them out and let people create their own packages, a la carte style? Here's why. It creates what's called a paradox of choice. Too many options, information overwhelm, analysis paralysis. Something called decision fatigue or ego depletion sets in, and the buyer tires out. But the Ikea effect works well because the people in the experiment had directions, step-by-step directions on how to build it and put it together. They didn't get overwhelmed. They didn't get tired of making decisions. They didn't get analysis paralysis trying to figure out what to do and how it all worked. They had directions. But your couples don't have that. They wander around lost in the crowded, noisy wedding world. What they want is a guide to tell them, a few options, with pros and cons for each, and then the space to make the decision. Making choices is tough especially if you're using the logical, rational parts of your brain. When you make suggestions as the seller and recommendations to your clients, it reduces what's called cognitive load and it creates an easier path forward for them. So if you're currently offering packages, that's good. If you're doing three and only three, even better. But if you're doing three plus a list of a la carte add-ons, pull those add-ons and put those in your pocket to upsell after the contract is signed. People exhibit information avoidance when faced with too many options. That's the paradox of choice. More is not necessarily better and can in fact cause anxiety and even buyer's remorse. None of which you want when a couple becomes your client. So if you're a photographer, wait to sell those albums until after you build desire for them and the couple is prepared to spend more money. If you're a planner, Start planning with event management or some version of partial if you can't get to full. And then when they start asking you to do more work on the wedding for free, say, I can do that, but I gotta charge you. Give them a new set of options to choose from based on their updated needs. If you're a stationer, sell the invitation suite first, then offer day of support, an install, or extra signage based on the final design. If you're a DJ, Get the reception on the books and wait to sell the ceremony seating music or vow mics until afterwards and on and on and on for every vendor in the wedding industry. Don't try to sell everything to someone who's not ready for it. They're going to push back or maybe stall out, making it more likely that they're going to say, you know what? We went in a different direction or they could pick somebody cheaper. Instead, get them started working with you. Let them discover themselves how important something is help them turn a want into a need along the way along the client journey and you'll see yourself getting more out of fewer dates and working less while making more is the goal for any successful business owner boom that's it for this episode on own your business if you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast you know i have a hard time keeping it short but i know you're busy So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.